Welcome to the IoT podcast powered by Paratus People. Be among the first to find out what's happening in the fascinating and growing world of IoT from the industry leaders themselves. Welcome to the IoT podcast show. Today I am joined by Eric Hugo. Uh, Eric is the Managing Director of Business Innovation at DeltaTrack. DeltaTrack are leading the way in cold chain management and temperature monitoring solutions and is generally considered a bit of a mover and shaker within the IoT industry. Eric, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Am I the mover or shaker or is DeltaTrack the mover and shaker? Well, I think you both could be, right? Well, I hope my boss heard that so that he can give me a raise. <laughs> no problem. No problem. We'll send him the link once we're done with the show. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Tom. It's been f it's fun being here, and uh, any opportunity to have a chat about myself is always great. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, uh, Eric. For for our listeners that don't know you or don't know Delta Track, uh, could you just explain a little bit about your background in IoT and what brought you here today? Um, a little bit is 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 a long goes a long way back. I mean, I was born and raised on the east coast of Africa in KwaZulu Natal, um, where my family lived and comes from, and where my heart is. And I had an introduction into let's say computing around about 1979, 1980. I know I look very young, but I have been around the block a while. And my dad took me to his work, and they had installed a WAN computer, which at that stage was like the big thing, you know, and because there was this new thing called mainframe computing that was going to mm. take over the business world. And it was a mainframe computer with a lot of like, let's say, desktop applications all over the show and all around the building. Um, and I remember the IT guy telling me that this is the future, you know, connected computing is going to be really great. And in two years later, the Apple Lisa was released, and um, the PC came onto the, the IBM came came onto the board and killed mainframe computing basically. Mm. Um, I but I mean I fell in love with computing as a hobby, as a hobby. I mean, and and it's also depends how you see IoT. I mean, IoT has been with us from the beginning. I mean, some way some way it's been just connected computing, you know, and it's basically getting things going. But my, my love started in gaming, got the Atari 2800, then got the ZX Spectrum with my older oh, brother. Wow. Um, Do you uh, still have them? Um, no, um, but I still have the emulators and I still game a lot okay. and things right. like that. Um, upgraded to a, a, a DSX, two, 286 DSX in the late 80s. Um, but then I went to study law in 1989, made a hash of that, went to South African army because all the white boys at that stage because of the apartheid regime still had to go into military service, came out, realized that the legal world is not for me, but didn't know what I wanted to do. But I've always been dabbling in computing because my older brother is an electronic engineer and he's always had, he always had the goodies at home and stuff like that. And then uh, went backpacking across Europe for, for two years saw the launch of Oasis here in the UK, alive, and it was just amazing. Came back to South Africa, decided to become a grown-up, and decided to go and work for my brother. And that's where the journey started in 1995 then, and he launched a company called Internext, which was an ISP. And while all the big companies in South Africa went to go and focus on the big cities like Cape Town, Durban, or Johannesburg, we couldn't compete with them because they had marketing budgets, you know. So my brother 
in his wisdom, decided, well, let's go and sit on the edge of the Karua and the Kalahari Desert because there's all these big mines and everybody always ignores these people and stuff like that and so on, and, and we get them as customers. So we wired, um, I don't know how long you've been involved in, in, in the internet, but like, I mean, with Trumpet Windsock was the default mode of connecting computers to the internet on Windows computers in those days, Windows 3.1, and I mean, Mac is all, Apple's always been too expensive for South Africa. I mean, it's not really mainstream in South Africa, so it was Windows by default and um, connected all those mines, but it's very boring uh, living in the desert. Um, it sounds very glamorous, but it's not. So I started chatting online. Uh, met a woman who was doing a PhD in uh, the ethics of genetically modified food at Uppsala University um, and okay. fell in love in 95, 96. And my parents couldn't understand how could you fall in love with a woman on the other side of the planet. Uh, via the internet, got a shrink to come and speak to me. Can't you meet a woman like in a bar, like in every normal human okay. being? Okay. Uh, but then I had done, I had built up quite a few, let's say, gems on my CV at that stage. For instance, I launched one of the South Africa's first e-commerce websites, where we sold headstones, gravestones for um, via on online for a customer, because South Africa. I mean, I don't know who bought it at that stage, but it seemed like a good idea. Um, then, so I moved through my CV online, got a job in Moscow and Russia and in Amsterdam, but I thought I knew Western Europe at that stage and want to see the great empire before it became too westernized. So I went to live and work in Moscow and Russia in 96, 97. The woman from Sweden came over. We fell in love, uh, still together two kids later, moved to Sweden and got my first job programming intranets for, for, um, Corporations built one of Ericsson's first intranet, 1999. Um, so self-educated, studied further via via University of California Berkeley, remote, long-distance um, education, um, and then just rolled from there because I had this web web background. And then I got a phone call from Nokia in 2001, and they said, "Well, we're going to launch this new product. It's called the Nokia Media Terminal, which is a Linux set-up box." Um, with, um, but we're going to build the Mozilla browser onto it. Now, this is 2001. You have to remember, this okay. is yeah. really early. Um, and we need somebody that could understand. We're a bunch of hardcore electric engineers and electronic engineers, but we need somebody that could really build this ecosystem of content via the Mozilla browser onto the set-top box. And I mean, this was revolutionary. I mean, building a, a Linux set-top box in 2001 was just out of the ordinary. You could play, you could record shows and everything like that. And they would build these native apps into 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 the system to, for instance, record TV. And I was like, you know, we can do that with web technology and just layer a, a transparent layer via the, the Mozilla browser onto the screen and record everything with the same quality. And they were like, oh, you can do that. <clears throat> Stayed with Nokia. Launched um, launched music kits for them. Built uh, quite a few innovative solutions. Started my own company in 2009 called ITG. Um, I was invited by a good friend of mine to join the the now very famous company called Zound Industries, which is the makers of the Marshall headphones um, that you see everywhere and stuff like that. They signed an agreement with Marshall out of I think they're up in Milton Keynes to make the Marshall headphones. And I was on the board there for five years while running my own consulting agency. 
and um, then and always in in this crossover, I never knew what I did. I never knew what I did. I mean, I thought I did rapid business development, which is now called design thinking. Um, and then I, you know, in ancient times, you discover you always had your spirit animal, but in modern times, I've got my spirit YouTuber, you know, and it's a it's a British guy called Tom Scott, and I don't know if you know him. And if you don't no, know, don't. this is a shout out to Tom Scott. He's just okay. great. And he did a webcast or a show called The Art of Bodging. Now, there's this great English word called bodging, which is, 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 is people that basically slap things together and, and make magic, you know. And I realized that he's a technical bodger and I'm a business bodger. And as in IoT, you've got edge computing now coming to the in business. Yeah. You've got edge business. You know, which is kind of the, the, the business equivalent of edge computing and IoT. But it's people on the periphery of all these different technologies that put them together into mixtures that that do things and do magic things. Um, and I've done that. I've built mobile phones for two companies, um, custom-made mobile phones. Um, I've built connected speakers. I've built connected um, um, air purifiers. What was always the leading question and everything that I developed was more the, the, the application rather than the IoT technology. Mm. You know, um, in the case of the air purifier, they said, we need to save people's lives. You know, people are dying of air pollution. I actually saw in Britain right now that um, it had registered its first case of official cause of death was an eight-year-old girl that died of air pollution. She had to walk in London to and back from school and she had a severe asthmatic attack. And, and so, so there was a case for, for technology to address the situation. Um, to 2014, I launched my first real IoT company. Before, I was more into M2M companies and stuff like that when it was called machine to machine, like connected speakers, like connected headphones, like connected things. But then we launched our first IoT company called Most, um, which was a, a hub which you put in the back of containers that measures five, five key data points. And what was interesting is that the idea was born. My little brother exports uh, fruit, citrus to, to, to Europe and to Russia and everything like that. And we were getting pretty plastered at one of his, um, on his farm in, in South Africa once. And he, and he got a phone call from St. Petersburg where the quality controller phoned him and said, listen, we're, we're sending back this container from the other side of the world uh, because, um, because everything is rotten and, and, that, and, and I asked him, so what happened? He said, well, you know, I know that I can solve this. I know I know that they're probably lying to me or they decided to, they got a better vendor because the whole risk, he was carrying the whole risk. But if I could just get a Nokia mobile phone on the inside of that container all the way, because I own the space on the inside of a container, then I can see what went wrong. Mm. Um, so he had this idea. And, and because I'm a business bodger, I went, wait a minute, let's, let's get the, bunch of people together and see if we can actually build a prototype of putting something inside a con container. And I was surprised because all these big companies like Delta Truck and everything like that didn't really focus on what they now call real-time logging. I just took off-the-shelf components and built a unit, got my ex-friends at Nokia to design it for me, got another friend to build the website for me, the cloud solution and everything, and, and mix it into a, into a bowl and, and created this real-time logging company that's now available in over 158 countries and, and logging wow. on the inside. Um, 
I left that company in 2019 mainly because if you have a hardware company, you have to spend a lot of money. It's it's expensive and um, it, it had run its course and I got contacted by a chap from Silicon Valley called Fred Wu, who, who's a privately owned company. And he said, listen, um, I've drawn so much inspiration of your journey and that IoT journey that you made. Won't, don't you want to become our business innovator and, and, and help us enter this new world? Uh, and that's where I ended up right now. So, so what am I? I'm a business bodger that makes mixtures inside the IoT environment. Um, I'm technically well, well gifted enough to understand the technology. And I go against the mainstream quite extensively um, because I know technology companies in the IoT industry, they want to sell their technology. They don't really care about the actual applications. They say they do. Um, but the fact is, is that, and I see it right now, you have to interrupt me, Tom, because I'm just going off here right now. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, it's okay. Technology companies right now are going off on 5G and SigFox and everything like that, but they're not really solving those those technologies are not solving the, the question that questions that IoT can actually address. You know, yeah. um, what are the questions that IoT needs to address, and then decide which is the relevant technology. The yeah. only appropriate global wide area network IoT platform that I am prepared to swear by is still the two G network. I mean, um, the and 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 the funny thing is is that we're going now. I I, I look at for instance chipsets that I have to buy and things like that, and they go, yeah, but you have to have 4G and 5G and all that stuff and so on. And I go, great, but my producers in Guinea-Bissau or in Nigeria or wherever, they're still 10 to 15 years away from 5G, you know, and that's where my journeys start, you know, and and it's still so far away for them, and you're trying to put the technology in their hands that A, they won't use, B, is totally out of reach for them in terms of financial um, investment and things like that, and who's going to carry these costs and stuff like that? So they're not really addressing the 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 people that are at the beginning of a supply chain that needs to deliver. For instance, to Europe, I mean, if you go into a Tesco's right now, or I go into a, a Carrefour or a Lidl right now, I mean, I look at a product that comes from South America that was probably packed in. Ecuador or in Chile or things like that, probably by a person who probably delivered one pallet of that product to a bigger consortium and stuff like that. How in heaven's name are they going to even carry the overheads of, let's say, a, a 30 euro uh, product that needs to be added to the container, you know, because, but it has got the latest technology. It's got 5G and blah, 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 blah. And it's got, you know, great narrow, narrow band connectivity. It's got Sigfox, blah, blah. That's not the point here. The point here is, is that I need to know that the fruit or the perishable is, is um, um, getting in a good condition here in Europe or whatever the goods is. So I made that transition from from technology, web to hardware to IoT and now into logistics. And it's super interesting. And the thing that really got me about logistics is that what people don't know uh, or what people don't know, by some estimates, logistics is one third of the global GDP. One third of the global GDP, right? It's massive. The industry, I mean, in all its different facets. Of that, a massive chunk is perishables. Like, I mean, we ship food all over the world from everywhere and everywhere. 
of that perishable, 40% never reaches an intended market. I mean, let that sink in. So we've got producers producing all over the world. 40% of that produce never reaches you sitting in your office yeah. in Bristol and it was intended. It's a terrible so, waste, isn't it, right? It's incredible. Yeah. And yeah. yet the industry is profitable. So mm -hmm. with a waste of 40%, the industry is profitable. And I'm like astounded by this. This means that it is one of the most profitable industries in the world. There's nothing that comes close to it. Because if you can have a waste of 40% of your produce, either somebody is being exploited extremely somewhere, or it is extremely profitable. Yeah. And then, uh, so, so if you can address this waste via real-time logging and everything like that, and you can bring it down by 10% year on year or things like that. Not only do you, I'm from Sweden not now. I mean, I'm from South Africa originally, but I'm Swedish now. And um, I live in the zeitgeist of this country. And one of my heroes is obviously Greta Thunberg, Thunberg who is who's a fantastic person who's done more to save the environment than I could ever hope to. And, and, and all her climate goals can be achieved if we stop waste in perishables because it will be less shipping, it will be less, it will be higher profitability. So let's stop wasting food and we could actually achieve climate goals on the other side. You know, how are we going to stop wasting food? Well, bringing technology into play, you know, so technology from real-time logging, using AI to check the quality of food, food um, you know, and so on and so on. Taking a photograph of a, of, of a peach and see, okay, how far has it gone to rot and how much shelf life has it got left and everything like that. And I'm budging all those solutions into and baking it into a into into solutions in the logistics chain. The world will I, I mean if I can get people excited enough about stopping food waste, and I'm not it's great that people are um, recycling at home and everything like that. I'm not not denouncing that, but if you really, really want to affect and be good for the planet, we need to sharpen our logistics chain. We need to get yes. better at managing goods. And, and real-time logging is the way to go. Yeah. So Delta Truck is this company that's been around. Fred started the company 31 years ago, still privately owned. It's going like a train. I love working for privately owned companies because they've got a, a, a longer-term vision um, than, 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 let's say, um, traded companies. Uh, they can really go... Um, uh, it's it's based on a vision that everybody buy, buys into, and Fred's got a great vision, and and we're putting this all these different elements. I mean, he didn't build a multi-million dollar company by not being wise. You know, he he, he realized that there's certain elements, and now he sees that IoT is going to change. Well, he saw it five years ago. IoT and blockchain and all those things going to change the logistics industry. So he's starting to make all these strategic investments right now, and we're budging these things together into an environment that we feel um, is going to address this gap in the market. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? Because you've touched upon there, obviously, what Delta Track do, right? And, and the use of real-time loggers. And I think the, the most poignant thing that I've taken from that, Eric, is the fact that, you know, 40% of these perishable items never reach their destination. And we put so much focus on the end consumer to practice good recycling, good um, um, practice just around, you know, what you do with waste and the management of waste. But it seems fairly academic compared to the massive issue that you have at the supply 
chain side of things, right? It's incredible. Um, yeah. Um, so just to go a little bit more deeper on that, could you just explain a little bit more about the real-time loggers within Delta Track and, 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 what it, and what it is that you're attempting to do you know, with them to, to stop this issue? Well, we've got the abstract and then we've got the, let's say, the pragmatic. I mean, the pragmatic is that we're a company that yeah. wants to make data available. I mean, it has to be available to our customers, to the consumers, to the whole supply chain. What is happening inside a container? And not just a container. I mean, it, it, it's anything that needs to be logged or tracked and things like that. And with that, we've built a range of products that addresses certain verticals. You know, I mean, we're based in Silicon Valley. So, of course, um, there's two major food export industries in the uh, areas in the world. I mean, it's California is one of the largest exporters of food in the world and Holland. I mean, mm. people don't realize that Holland or the Netherlands is the second biggest exporter of food in the world. Not only at their own produce, but, but produce that actually comes via Rotterdam into the European Union yeah. and for yeah. the East. Um, so I, I believe that Delta Track, I mean, I'm fairly new with the company and Fred will probably wrap me on my knuckles, but Delta Track was born out of that need of transporting transporting perishables out of California to the rest of the states, right? Um, and and it was with dumb trackers, which you put in. And very early in this in this journey, um, they put, built in something, we patented something called shadow logging. Right. So so most logging has got something that you, you basically have to press a button. The user has to activate it. And remember, this logging is used in court cases. So it has to be with the right sensors, with the right... Um, connectivity methodology, everything has to be stand up in a court of law. And shadow logging is basically a PDF log that goes on regardless of whether the customer presses the button or not. So when you retrieve the logger, um, then, um, then then you can still get the data of what has happened. So, so we built a whole range of products that goes into containers, whether it's from perishables or whether it's from dry goods or whether it's from uh, on an airplane, we've got flight mode. So it switches off its connectivity options when it goes onto an airplane um, for, for, so that you as the, the receiver or the sender can see exactly where your cargo is, what is the condition of your cargo, um, what's the temperature inside the cargo in different points inside the container because like for instance you can measure the temperature in the front of a container but the back of the container has got a different temperature. But if spoilage actually happens in the back, it affects the front. So you need to measure the temperature. We call it two-channel. Um, mm. We've got various connectivity options. You know, we try and create solutions, hardware solutions that actually fit our customers' needs. Um, lots of technical denominations of these products. But basically, I would rather say is if somebody had to contact me and say, can Delta Track address the problem for me? I'll say, so what is your problem? Um, and then I would go into my bodging book. And I'll say, and I speak to our CTO, who's a great young guy, and he'll say, okay, but we can actually use this. We can change the interface like this, and we can put the product in there. So you put a logger in the back of a container. It's on the on 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 a marine transport for six weeks. I mean, the fresh fresh food that you, if you eat an orange from South Africa, uh, in a Tesco's there in Bristol, then I promise you, it's been on the ocean for at least six months. It's a controlled in uh, six weeks. It's a controlled environment. And um, and then you can see, okay, no, the temperature went too high or there was light that came into the container because light starts the photosynthesis process. And all of this gives you a registration and, okay, how was my goods? 
and it helps the logistics guys. Um, importers have to carry the brunt of the losses if, a, if a, a retailer decides not to take a product. You know, they could say, okay, if you didn't deliver on Monday morning, 9 a.m., so I'm going to go somewhere else. So the importer is stuck with the goods. And they yeah. can then still see, oh, my container is in Las Palmas. Um, maybe it's time that I find a new buyer because the logger has basically let me know that my con- we, we built a geolocation um, that basically pings, the, uh, pings us and says, okay, now it's close to that base station in Las Palmas. Let's me know here in Gothenburg that my container is basically two weeks shipping away. Um, I'm not going to make my deadline. Maybe it's time to find a new buyer um, and so okay. on. So yeah, things yeah. like that. Um, I focus very much. I'm not technically enough technology savvy enough to really go into the details of you know the, the which type of bands, but I'm technology enough savvy enough to to understand how it's going to affect the business process. Yeah. Um, and then, like I say, the logistics industry still uses maritime laws from 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 when when Napoleon invaded Egypt. You know, uh, it's it's an industry waiting for disruption, really. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that, Eric. Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken to quite a few people involved in, in, in asset tracking and, and monitoring of shipments and cargo and what have you. But um, it's the first time I've heard someone in a real life use case talk about the fact of if you're going to be late for a shipment, a delivery to a customer, you potentially can send that somewhere else to decrease that 40% amount that you talk about. Exactly. Right? exactly. Um, and, and, that, and that's fantastic, isn't it, really? Because, I mean, it's almost a little bit... Um, not so much unfair, but you hear a lot about this, especially in the UK, with um, you know farmers be really being beholden to the supermarkets, right? And if they're late or if something is slightly deformed, if the carrot's not straight, then they reject it. And it's and it, it seems to me like a really um, like dare I say it, like kind of fairly irresponsible approach sometimes from the supermarket chains to do that because it is just causing this waste and it is just causing these issues. Um, and 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 it doesn't need to be sometimes, right? You know, um, and and I'm and I'm sure this system will help that and 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 try and find uh, the in, absolutely, Tom. I mean, I I, I I'm not going to put the blame at, at the supermarket's feet because no, and all, neither, neither am I for the record. <laughs> <laughs> because all these companies just evolve um, from an Excel sheet where they have to show profit yeah. and loss. Um, yes. Is is a supermarket? goal to make money or to feed people you know i mean that if you have a if it is to feed people then you can have a different strategy than just to basically make money you know so so all these small things have to come into play for everybody to come on to bed. but this new generation the greta thunberg generation they're amazing they're filling me with inspiration because they they actually want to make the world a better place for them it's default state that things have to be sustainable whereas my generation um, it's very much Excel-driven bottom line and, and making the books balance. Whereas the new generation says, wait a minute, I, I want to make money, but I want to make enough money, um, but I also want to make the world a better place. And, and, yeah. and I see that everywhere. And, and I'm so grateful for my kids who are teenagers and early 20s right now. I mean, they are making these, they're engineers and stuff like that, but they're making these small choices to, to make this better. But just to give you an, an, an interesting thing is that there's a country, I'm not going to name the country for, for, for fear of pissing off some other countries, um, but they make great, they sell, they produce some of the greatest avocados in the world. So the buyers of, of avos go to the specific markets where they trade the avos in the local country and they say, okay, we want to buy 
where they get an order from Tesco say we need three containers of avos and we want the best avos. So they go to this market and this country makes really, really great avos or produces great avos. So they place an order. And six weeks later, the avos get delivered to Bristol Tesco and they're all rotten. Um, this is, a, I'm giving you a real case of what has happened. So they came to us and they said, we don't understand this. I mean, everything is checked and so on. We need you guys to check out why this happened. We don't know what's happening. Because when they, they load it into the container, it's these beautiful, beautiful um, vegetables. Or is it a fruit? Avos are a fruit. Um, and they come up and, and it happens time and time again from New York delivery to um, Berlin delivery to London delivery. It, it all messes up. So what we did is we put a real-time tracker into the back of the trucks um, when they got loaded and we got all this data back, right? And then we started realizing, okay, we've got an accelerometer inside the tracker and we started seeing, wait a minute, the truck is shaking quite hectically. Um, why is it shaking so much? And, and because we know that if Avo basically starts bumping against each other, then they start ripening and that you, you initiate the ripening process. We analyzed the data and we came to the conclusion, but wait a minute, somebody is driving on a dirt road here. Most of the drivers from, from the city um, to the port, the city is in, in continent, continent, the port is about 500 kilometers away, they're driving on dirt roads, even though they are tarred roads. They don't take the tarred roads, they take big. Then we actually realized, but the incentivization scheme for the truck drivers is to A, conserve fuel, and hit time deadlines, right? Mm. So to conserve fuel, they would go, don't, they won't take the main road. They won't take the tar road because they get bonuses for all the fuel that they save, right? Mm. So they save the fuel by taking the dirt road. Um, and then also the dirt road creates shaking and the avos ripen. So we went back to the client and we said, okay, there's your problem. It's not the IoT that's going to save you. It's not the, it's not the trucking company. It's the, the, the goals and the targets that the drivers have. You know, mm. you need to incentivize them in another way so that they stick to, because they're all private contractors, you know. Yeah, so yeah. you need to incentivize them in a different way to take the toll roads, to take the toll roads so that the, the, the vegetables and the fruit doesn't shake on, inside the container. Aha, uh -huh. you know. So, so it was this real-life problem here in Europe and in America of rotten avos was actually caused by the incentivization of a person in, in the, on this continent who was basically saying, you have to save fuel. You have to save fuel. So, so with real-time logging, we put everything together. We got this whole pool of data, and we've got an amazing database, a really fantastic database with billions of data points where our data scientists just go in and they basically say, okay, we want to see how is this hurricane affecting the traffic and so on and so on. We can see these things in real time. You know, it's really great. Yeah, I think from what you've said, I think, you know, the logging system is fantastic from a technological standpoint, but I think what it, what it, sh what it could do as well is in, enhance uh, the conscious effort for sustainability throughout this chain. Absolutely, um, because I think everyone needs to pl play a part in this, right? You know, I talk about the, the supermarkets earlier, but that you know, if they do the logistics to the drivers, everyone and everyone is incentivized and has a metric against that to exactly. to, to do that, then this this is what you know is, is probably needed, right? In order to yeah. reduce. Some I mean, we can inspire inspire consumers here in Europe and in, in the USA and in China to recycle until the, the cows come home, 
But if you, mm. I mean, but that is just, that is of the 60% that has been delivered, you know, mm. that doesn't even address the 40% of perishables that has gone to waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, and, that, and that's what I mean. It's fair. In a way, it's kind of, it's not academic, but it's, it's, it's sadly such a massive amount that it really tips the scales, doesn't it? So if we, can, if we can address that side and culturally change people. I mean, I hold my hands up, right? You know, 10 years ago, I probably didn't recycle that much, right? Yeah. Um, but now I do. And now I'm so conscious about it. And, um, you know, and I'm so conscious about making sure that we, um, you know, are, make, are making use of, of, of food waste, of, 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 of um, recyclable items. And it's really staggering when you think about it, even just from one household, right? Yes, um, incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. I mean, it's, it's a whole lifestyle change. I mean, our current society is built on the whole concept of growth. Um, and we need to grow differently. I mean, uh, we need to grow our businesses differently. Um, I, I, here in Sweden, there's a massive trend of the kids right now. I mean, the fastest growing clothing chain, I mean, we're the home of H&M, but the fastest growing clothing chain is a second-hand retailer. That's all second-hand clothes and stuff like that and so on. Um, because the recycling, how do we send clothes back to, I mean, if you're in e-commerce, you, you ship something, a, a clothing item to a consumer. I don't know how good e-commerce is actually for the environment because we don't ship one container, we ship a bucket load of small products, you know, and so on. And, and, and um, that's something that some PhD students still has to analyze, you know, the effect of e-commerce on the environment. Um, I've got my suspicions. Um, but but um, second-hand clothing, second-hand goods, things like that, and shifting second-hand goods between, between um, in, in an open market, you know, like for instance, not everybody needs the latest latest devices. You know, you can get along quite well and, and you've got a rich country that basically gets rid of two-year-old model devices. You know, why not just repurpose them in another market in a different way, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's happening, it's growing. I also believe that we have to really start looking at our modular lifestyle. Uh, for 10 years, we've had this business model where, and, and I take electronics as a reference point here. I mean, now everything is included in our electronics. I mean, if you want to upgrade your camera and your mobile phone, you can't. You have to upgrade your mobile phone, you know. Um, I don't know if you remember the PC revolution. It was Lego. It was candy. I mean, we built our own computers and we upgraded this component. And we, but that also led to a lot less of waste, you know. If you buy a, P, a laptop these days, the only way that you can upgrade your screen is if you buy a complete new computer. You know, and, and this goes for everything in our whole lifestyle. Now we're a bit off topic, but so logistics um, is going to play a role in all of that. It's it's in how to ship goods from one point. And Delta Track is definitely, I mean, I, I admire the fact that they really want to, I mean, I know that California is full of hippies and all that stuff and so on, but these guys really want to make the world a better place. You know, and they're doing it effectively and, and they're doing it constructively. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, it's something that I'm really passionate about in terms of tech for good, right? And using yeah. IoT to, to make a more sustainable world. Um, Richard Attenborough put out a, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of his, 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 his final, I don't know if it's his final documentary, he might do another, but, um, you, you know, you can't help but be moved by what <laughs> we've done. Right, um, and and the collision course that we're we're facing. So so it's really inspiring to hear stories about this and and the general 
you know, real world effects that it can bring. Um, yeah. You know, you, meant, you mentioned at the start uh, when you were talking about your background, and we we've touched upon this in 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 in, uh, in context before. But um, you know, when we talk about set top boxes, we talk about media, we talk about entertainment. You know, it's fantastic, but at the end of the day, it's just TV, right? Yeah. So when when you're trying to do things that are actually changing things for the benefit of, of humankind, it's really there's a real feel good factor there. Just on that. Just on that note as well, Eric, and um, I'm keen. I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are on um, kind of um, um, where the future's going with this, where where we're going to be in the future, where you would like to see it happen in in the sort of not too distant future, and then maybe longer term. What what do you think that we'll see within an IoT revolution, uh, specifically around solutions such as what Delta Track are doing with uh, real time logging? Well, I, I think the biggest revolution is going to be the one that we don't see. Um, yeah. And consumers are driven by things that are visible. But there's this whole subcurrent and, and undercurrent of IoT that's happening right now, um, which is in the industrial IoT. Um, now, I'm under NDA, so I have to be very... So I'm going to tell you a story. For yeah, instance, sure. there's the services industry. The services industry is going to be revolutionized. And, and here I mean not financial services. I don't. I'm in quality control. That's the services that I mean. So, so if you've got a subway in London, that subway needs to be inspected every single year. Uh, the trains need to be inspected. The, the the tunnels need to be inspected. The the the, the transmission systems needs to be inspected. And real time monitoring is going to change that completely. Because what is an inspection process right now? Well. If, you're, if you've got a nuclear power plant and you need to go and uh, inspect it, you need to send 10 to 15 qualified engineers to a plant every single year. They have to go through, they have to switch it off, they have to check for cracks in the core, uh, they have to check for, um, for, for uh, slitars, um, what do you call it, components becoming run down and stuff like yeah. that and so on. Yeah. Um, we can solve that with real-time logging. We, we can solve that with real-time logging. You can place an IoT sensor in a, the various forms, off-the-shelf components. I'm not selling any specific network. I'm talking about stuff that I can go and buy right now. Um, I can build an IoT pro prototype that I can use in a nuclear power plant um, that will measure cracks in the core, you know, because a crack, once a crack starts, it, it's always there. Um, a subway carriage, you know exactly where cracks in the steel starts always. So the inspectors that go out every year and check for those cracks. They go to that specific point and they go and they measure. They spray a paint on it and they see. You can actually layer an IoT sensor on top of that right now. Uh, and at, on a micro level, it will actually measure that in real time. Mm -hmm. And you can have a central data point that gets this data back and you can manage it. I actually bring this in because this is happening. And this is going to be rolled out. And it's going to revolutionize the quality control industry because... I mean, all these engineers go and study to become quality control people, to go out and see um, a big copper drum that mixes paper. You know, they, they these big drums, and if they crack, it's it's the end, end game over. You can check those. So, so I would say the lower level engineering is gonna, levels are going to be completely changed by IoT. Um, the reason why it's taking so long is because they don't have bodgers in those organizations. They've got people that are very good at what they do. And they've spent 20 to 30 years at becoming great crack engineers. 
And when you come and tell them that IoT is going to make this easy for you, they may be not that keen. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of like it's it's kind of like what cryptocurrency is doing to the financial industry. Cryptocurrency will make banking so much easier, but the bank people go, yeah, you know, I've spent the last forty years now in this career, and I want to keep my my benefits, you know, and stuff like that. So that's why adoption is going slow. But like my namesake Victor Hugo said, you know, you can't you can't stop an idea whose time has come. You know, it's it's just a question. It's it's happening and. You can either be in the front of the curve, and where Delta Track is really growing, well, I mean, we are fairly big as it is, but where we really are going in is that this this 40% is a passion thing for us, and then we're really looking at, at, at we, I, I can't really speak about what we're doing because it's yeah, only sure. Day, but mm-hmm. but all this this whole process of delivering goods from a producer in Santiago in Chile to a to a, a supermarket in 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 Novosibirsk in Russia, that is an eight-week process that we can lock, and there is data interactions at every single point of those things, and we can basically make calculated choices completely along the way, and we realize that we can do that right now, but we also need to educate our customers that you can do it. Because an importer is, I mean, these guys have been importing stuff for 30 years, you know, and if you tell them, here's an IoT or RTL logger, they go, yeah, you know, I want my Apple iPhone, you know, that's about it. And I send, I send emails with it, you know, and stuff like that. Um, so, so it's a question of educating the market and transforming the market at the same time, you know. But like I say, us old fogies, we're dying out. The new generation is coming in and they get it. I mean, they, they, they grew up on, on, on science fiction and they grew up on, on Blade Runner and they grew up on seeing these things that the movie makers could do. Um, like imitating art, right? Oh, I mean, really, in my whole career, my high point has been actually interviewing the late, great uh, Ian Banks, uh, who's the father of the culture novels. And I mean, that man was just so far ahead in the future that it's just incredible. I mean. Um, he predicted quite a lot of these connected things, not predicted, I mean, he projected um, in his science fiction. Um, mm. He projected a lot of these use cases that we're actually applying right now. And I would have never gotten my inspiration if I didn't read these cultural novels, you know. Yeah. And, and the same goes for um, what's it? Uh, there's so many, I, I say read more science fiction. Don't read about how to manage businesses, read science fiction, you know, because it changes. <laughs> It changes everything, you know. So yeah. um, I think that this process, we are going to fine-tune this process and we're going to get the data scientists involved. And hopefully in about 10 years' time, we've brought down the 40% waste to about 30%. And, 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 but knowing, knowing the Internet and the power of the Internet, it will probably go much faster. It will probably go much faster. You know, once a, a seller in, 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 in Robertson in South Africa, like my little brother, um, when he sees that, wait a minute, my my lemons aren't going to reach, going to reach uh, Vladivostok on time. I need to find a new buyer, you know, yeah. fast, you know, yeah. because of the real time logging data. And and you can also see what's the quality of the fruit and the, uh, the vegetables on the inside of that container. You can see, okay, wait a minute, I've only got about 12, two weeks shelf life left. It's good for me if I tell the buyer now sell these out right now because they're not going to last in your shelves because there was some kind of um, some kind of thing that happened inside the container on the trip and so on. 
the big challenge is that there is uh, how is the data going to be managed because all these big shipping companies they don't I mean, if you if you own the inside of the container and you basically come to them and say, wait, wait a minute, your container, your cold chain reefer that I booked from you had a leak. You know, mm. it's like all of a sudden they go, but we don't want to take responsibility for that. We've never taken responsibility for that since now. So it's it, there's still a lot of lot of legalese that needs to follow all of this right now before we get into that ideal situation. But um, I mean, if I can build a phone for an Afri African country, then we can definitely solve this. You know, so <laughs> I've got yeah. no doubt about that. So, uh, Eric, it's been it's been really fascinating learning more about yourself and obviously the business, and we really appreciate your insights. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, there's one little story that I want to tell you. Oh, please carry uh, on uh, with the application. I mean, we talk about mobile money. And we talk about um, we talk about cryptocurrencies and everything like that, but very few people realize really where it started as an an active application. You know where it really started as an active application on the east coast of Africa. Nokia was it, it's still the the big corporate love of my life, the company that it was in the in the early the time of the century because they, this is this Finnish company that really started out. They wanted to make a world the world a better place. I mean it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nokia has had this vision. It's like, how can our technology make the world a better place? And um, so they basically supported countries to build 2G networks, and they brought out low-cost mobile phones so that normal people could get their first inter interaction with the Internet. So these fishermen on the east coast of Zanzibar, Africa, their Zanzibar area, they would go out and they would fish early in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. And previously, the previous process was that they would come back to shore and then they would sell, sell their fish on the market and stuff like that. And it's a system that had worked for centuries. I mean, since 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 the 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 the, the Arab invaders came down on the coast and basically started as commercial enterprises. I mean, thousands of years ago, thousand years ago. Um, and then the mobile phone came, and I'm talking 2G dumb phones, right? <laughs> So that these fishermen could sit like seven kilometers off of the coast and they would send SMSs to the shore and say, okay, who's coming in? Uh, who's coming out with it? With this is now the beginning of the, this is 2001. I mean, this is like really, they would get prices for the fishes and, and then they would go, okay, wait, I shouldn't dock there. I should dock there. Um, so they could actually start managing the whole logistic process just with old traditional 2G technology. And, and that evolved where they actually started selling their catches for airtime. So, so the currency of, okay, wait a minute, now I've taken up 10 kilograms of fish and I want to sell it, but that guy wants to buy it right now. But he's 10 kilometers into the shore. How can he buy it? Oh, well, he can just credit my airtime on my phone. So I could then go and take this airtime and credit it to somebody else. And it became a complete industry of selling and, and trading airtime on the east coast of Africa, in, uh, and that's where I draw my inspirations from. I mean, I don't, I'm excited about what happens in the labs of the West, but people applying technology in innovative ways, that's where the magic happens, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, who could have thought that people would trade with airtime? <laughs> it's like, what? And this is in 2002, before cryptocurrency even saw the light of day, you know, and stuff yeah, like that. Wow. So. I've, I think sometimes it's providing the platforms, isn't it, and providing uh, the infrastructure for people to then, you know, monetize it in their own way. 
Right. And exactly. And, and also, I, I would like the telecom industry of where I've got a lot of great friends. I mean, they, when it comes to IoT, the telecom industry goes about 20, 30% of the way. Um, they never really take themselves into the actual challenges that the people that have their services. For instance, if I've got an IoT solution out there and I need to manage it, they say, well, here's the Jasper tool. You know, start managing your SIM cards and start managing whatever. That that means I have to hire a techie. I just want to I want to move fruit. You know, I don't want to sit and, and and manage the Jasper tool. You know, and stuff like that and so on. Another in, part of the industry where I think it and the UK is leading this quite a lot right now is organic farming. Mm. Um, I'm not sold on the idea of organic farming. I I do believe that um, uh, it's not the way to go. It's gonna it's it's. It's going to use too much natural resources to get organic farming off the ground to feed a nation. You need to have controlled farming. You need to have um, um, uh, farming that basically can uh, smaller, and that you can do with IoT, smaller area producing more food and so on and so on. Yeah. So that's yeah. where RTL is going to play a big role as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you to say that because we work with some vertical farming businesses um, on on. Uh, the recruitment side of, of what I do, um, yeah. and that's, that's a really interesting topic, right? You know, RTO, uh, bring it in there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent, Eric. Thank you. It's been really good. Honestly, I've enjoyed it. It's uh, it's great to hear you know so many stories, and um, and I think. And then there's definitely we need to talk about something else in the future on here as well, right? And see where yeah. where your journey is, where Delta Track's journey is. But uh, you know, we we could talk for hours, right, about various yeah. topics. But I I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out to lovely to Tom. talk to us all, right? Um, but yeah. but thank you so much. Thank you, man. All right, no problem. Are you going to stop recording now? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for more episodes in the IoT podcast, the leading podcast among the IoT community.